0: Folks, this is a late edition. It is early, not early. It is, what day is today? Wednesday, March 4th. Um, it's about 11 o'clock. And Rob McKeeman from the GLSAA just went live not that long ago and did announce that spectators will be allowed. So if you're listening to this and you're planning on coming to the Arnold, spectators are still going to be allowed. But the vendors will not be there, which really sucks for them. I am glad that we are going to be able to have a crowd of some sort, although this means that I will have to be on my best behavior and try not to hit anybody this year. So it's the evening of March 3rd as I'm recording this and we it just was made public earlier this evening that the Arnold Sports Festival is being canceled this weekend in Columbus um there there's still going to be athletic competitions but no vendors no spectators i mean this is like it, it's it's really thrown the uh, the sports, the, the straight sports world into a bit of a tizzy. I really, you know, it, I think a lot of us has been, have been on a roller coaster um, of emotions, especially those of us that were are going to be competing this weekend. Um, but you know, a lot of, a lot of, I know a lot of people were planning on attending. I mean, I, I've, I've competed at the Arnold the last couple of years and, Uh, you know, it's, it's just massive. I mean, we're in there, the Highland games are in there in the convention center and it is just like wall to wall people. Like I I pulled up a picture tonight to send to one of my friends to try to illustrate just how packed it was. And then was scrolling through um, tweets about, about it and saw the stat that there are like 250,000 spectators at this event or 200,000, 250,000 attendees from 80 countries. And, um 22,000 athletes. I mean that that statistic in itself is really that's really mind-boggling that there are 22,000 athletes that participate in the the Arnold the Arnold Sports Festival. I mean it's just nuts. Um but uh but yeah, I mean the Highland Games are in there on the expo floor. So it's going to be quiet in there. I really, I feel so awful for all of the, the vendors that were really counting on this, um, the, the revenue that they were going to be making at this event. I mean, I know a lot of, a lot of the, um, the businesses in this sector, I mean, there's little small businesses, you know, and so this could, I, I hope that people have, you know, way to recoup, uh, the, the losses that they're going to be experiencing. Cause they're, I mean, they're going to be losses, not just for the, the, um, parent company that organizes a festival, but for all the vendors that rely on it. I mean, I just, I, I follow, um, like girl clothing and, and was looking at Courtney Olson's, uh, her, her snap stories. And, and it's just like, they just got to Columbus. She said with like $20,000 of merchandise and it's just, I, I imagine it feels, I can't even imagine how it feels. So I am really hoping that there, I don't know, hopefully there'll be some creative business strategies to hopefully recoup some of that money. I mean, I don't even, I don't even know, I don't even know what to, what to say. Um, but my heart goes out to you all. Um, uh, but you know, let's, I was, (laughs) my plan had been to record an episode this week Uh, that would preview the Arnold but I I feel like this is really just just upended everything I mean I guess uh, yeah I don't even know where to begin I guess one of the one of the things I was going to talk about was kind of what what the experience is like competing there like how a Highland Games indoors and specifically in that setting is different from what it's like competing outside Um, and I've competed at two different locations in indoor games that have been organized by the Great Lakes Scottish Athletes Association or the GLSAA, who is the um, the body that uh, governs the amateur athletics at, organizes the amateur athletics at the Arnold. There also is a, uh, um, a pro slash elite mixed team competition scheduled to go off on Friday, which I mean, I was planning on driving down. Thursday night and getting down there so I could watch um, watch Highland games all day on Friday. And, you know, we still, yeah, this is something that's still up in the air too. Like I, somebody commented on uh, one of my posts on Facebook that um, USAW has been putting out information basically saying that athletes can't loiter, like athletes can't even be spectators. Like that came out from USAW. So I don't know if that's, I think there's just a lot of information that's not out there yet. So uh, a lot of that will become more clear over the days to come um so so we'll see but um uh but yeah so i have competed indoors a couple times so i've been i've experienced it in two different venues um but both organized by the GLSAA so there are going to be a lot of commonalities so um in the the indoor events that i've done for the sake of time it has been much abbreviated so we've only done we've done five events Hammers are out because of because it's limited limited space. Um Hammers are out and we do uh an open stone, which it has been a pretty a heavy a heavy shot put. We use an indoor an indoor shot. Um and I think I think at the Arnold it's been like a fourteen pound shot. I can't remember what we threw in Dayton, but it was heavy, for sure. <laughs> so and that's where we start where We start with the open stone or the shot with the heavy shot then we go to the um heavy weight for distance um in 2018 we used these um rogue throwing bags which were super weird you can see um pictures of them and and video uh that of 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 those um online they're nuts um so there we use those rogue heavy throwing bags, which just felt weird. And for me, it felt, I'll talk about my own personal experience after I talk about it in general. Um, so they're the rogue heavy throwing bags. And then last year, uh, the GLSAA was able to get an, an I think, pretty heavily discounted. I don't I don't think they paid full price for them cuz I know they can be super expensive, but they got some uh dominator weights. That's my point. Um, dominator weights so they had uh have a metal handle where you can get a much better grip on the handle. And then there's a, a large a large ball with a bag um kind of a a webbing the bag around the outside of it. So heavy weight for distance and then we and I I don't think we totally follow traditional order. I think we did the height events then um, and, you know, sheaf and then wob. and the sheaf for the women is heavy. We used a 16 pound sheaf the last two years um, and I think the men are using a 28 pound sheaf and although it's not as much of an issue for me for the, you know, the, the very, the most proficient chief tossers that are in this competition i mean you know in indoors you're not only in that setting you're not only limited by the the space on the floor but the ceiling is a limit as well and so the 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 bar can only go so high and people were you know competitors were maxing out the throwing it up into the ceiling i mean just maxing out the the height um the the event that is the closest to what the, an outdoor event is like I would say is the the WOB. So we use a regular WOB. They put down a lot of we use a regular implement. They put down a lot of uh, padding that the the implement does bounce sometimes like that is one thing that you do have to be a little more conscious of indoors than outdoors is that that wob if it hits the ground funny it can take a really funny bounce and sometimes it can bounce back at you so you have to pay a little bit I'd say pay a little bit closer attention than you would outdoors with the wob and then we go to the caber and one of the big differences with the caber is that um, because the space is limited they have kind of like a foul line like a, a limit of how far forward you can how far forward you can progress with your approach um so that you know that that does make it a little more challenging as far as developing speed and acceleration and as far as the implement itself, Merle Wallace has some uh, metal cabers that he brings down um, and there was a if you want to check it out, there was a cool post um, that I think got shared in Nazga that Merle had put up of him uh getting the wrapping the cabers, rewrapping them with tape. And I think the women's caber has been like a 166, like 65 pound caber. So it's pretty substantial. I mean it's not the most substantial caber that I've I've attempted. Um I was we had a I think we had one heavier at World last year. I mean I know we did. It was like 18 feet and like 80 pounds or 88 pounds or something um and the Beast Megan McKee the world champ 2019 world champ did turn it um i think on her third attempt um but uh Merle's cabers um they they are heavy but not you know ob- obscenely so um the challenge is not as much with the with picking it i would say as that you know it, it, the the speed is an important factor in being able to turn a caber and when you just don't have a lot of ground to cover it can be more challenging to accelerate and so you know then the the strength takes over a little bit more um <clears throat> so um so and and that's that's something important to consider you know the the way that the events are selected what that or or the events that are selected for the arnold um are you know it's two height events, and so I would say as opposed to two out of seven, two out of nine, um, being two out of five, the Arnold definitely f- more favors the athletes that are better at the static events or the the height events. And so that is an interesting factor that the the final finish may shake out a little bit more differently and then and also you know just having the um the heavier implements is going to favor the athletes that have um just have have greater strength levels, you know, so I'm hoping that that will work in my favor <clears throat> excuse me uh this year you know last year I put in a lot of work to become more proficient with the height events and got really consistent, um, with them. And so I'm hoping, and, um, uh, and well, I'll get back to the sheaf. The sheaf at the Arnold has been a real, there've been some events at the Arnold that have been a real beast for me. Um, but, but yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to have, have some, some height events this year. So now talking about my own experiences at the Arnold, oh boy. So the 2018 Arnold, I managed to kind of I, I, I stuck it. I mean, I legit qualified, you know, my marks were definitely strong enough for me to get in, but I was still really very much a noob, you know? And, and when I, I look back at the last couple of years, um, and my feeling about the games and my like quote unquote career, I don't mean like professional career. I just mean like my, you know, sports career as an athlete in the games, um, I would I would say that the the overarching feeling that I had for have used to have more so not as much anymore but was just this feeling not quite of panic but just a feeling like like time was running out for me um, you know I I turned thirty eight in in this past October and I know that um, you know our bodies can only hold up for so long and I'm I'm definitely at that point where my ceiling is 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 not necessarily getting higher as far as my potential. So I I felt a lot of pressure to try to get as good as I could as quickly as I could before kind of time ran out on me, um, in the, in the Highland games. And so, um, I, I, I was, I, especially through 2018 was really pushing, pushing, pushing to get in as many events as possible. I mean, and even through 2019, um, trying to like, and I mean, no shame in my game, right? Like trying to like make a name for myself, get myself out there so that, um, to try to overcome the fact that I was so new, you know, new to the sport. So anyway, so although my, my numbers were definitely reflective of kind of that, that skill that I was able to transfer over from my track and field career into the Highland games, I, I. In 2018, I mean, the Arnold in 2018 was my third competition ever in the Highland Games um, in the heavy athletics, you know, like, so I definitely didn't have a lot of seasoning and um, there there had been some back and forth with the GLSAA before I actually got added to the accepted entries list. And I, you know, I, I get it now, I understand where that came from, um, but that, that meant, Like I was, I was really, I was quite nervous going into my, that competition because I knew, um, you know, there was going to be, there were going to be some really other really talented throwers. And it was, you know, a big, a big festival. It was my first time at the Arnold and I will confess, I didn't, I had to go out and buy, I didn't have, I didn't own my own fork. I had borrowed a sheaf fork at the first two games that I was in. So I, oh boy. I went to uh uh. I bought a regular pitchfork, like a gigantic pitchfork with five tines, and used my father-in-law's like I, I hacked off two of the tines and used his uh, grinder to try to grind down the the other the remaining tines and like taped it all off. And I mean, I will. Uh, it was embarrassing. I mean, embar- I'm a little embarrassed now about it, looking back at it. So I, I I, got to the Arnold and I realized my fork, my fork times were like too far apart to really even get a bite in the bag. So I ended up borrowing somebody else's fork anyway. Um, And I, and I, <laughs> I kind of alluded earlier to some of my struggles at the Arnold. One of those struggles has been no hiding at the Arnold because I didn't own a sheaf. I didn't have a sheaf at that point. So I didn't even have like a 10 pound sheaf, let alone a heavy bag to practice with, to get the practice with period, but then to practice with, to get the timing. So, um, that is, that is one thing that I will say I've improved upon even since last year at the Arnold is that I now own three sheaf bags. So I have a, I have like a, I think it's just under 10 and then I have a, like a 12.6 and I have like a Like a fifteen point nine pound chief, so um, I made that one before we had the Arnold qualifier, so that I could actually practice the timing of it. And it's it's different. I mean, it's it doesn't. I wouldn't say for like for myself, it didn't take a lot to figure out the timing. Um, But it is definitely something that needs to be figured out. And on the floor of the Arnold is not the most optimal place to try to figure out the timing with a heavy bag. So I that I am hoping will will pay off. I've been training with that um through the winter on and off, you know, and I'm I'm hoping that that'll pay off um on Saturday morning. Um so the yeah, the other thing that I have struggled with at the Arnold um the worst I would say is the heavyweight for distance. Now, not only was my were my distances not all that great in the heavyweight um in 20 Earlier in 2018, I mean, it really came on like gangbusters at the end of the season when I finally got my own implement and was able to practice. Um, But my like typical throw in early 2018, the early 2018 season was like about 29 feet, which I I believe is probably a little bit above average, but it's like by no means reflective of any sort of proficiency for me with the implement. I mean, I look like garbage with the heavyweight for distance um, and felt all over the place. Like a struggle of mine has been even just like knowing what the technique for the events is supposed to look like or feeling like I'm in control of the implement. And heavyweight especially for me has been a struggle because the weights for distance look like discus, which was my most competitive event in track and field. But the thing that made me especially good at discus was my ability to have what they call separation between the implement and my body. So basically meaning stretching my arm way back behind me and you try to, you know, optimize that stretch reflex. Like you cannot use stretch reflex in the heavy weight for distance. And so my timing in the event was just god awful for for a long time in the event. I finally started putting it together. Um, so I got like, I got much more consistent with the heavyweight for distance through 2019, but I feel like there was, there was one practice I had in December down in Florida, um, where I was, I finally got a cue to like get the implement ahead of me. So now the, the cue that I use is as I'm set up in the back, you know, I swing it, I let it, the cast go behind me and then, and I probably don't look like I'm being that patient because I think I still take off earlier than I should. But I wait until that implement. I try to wait until I can see it in front of me um, before I make my first turn. And so that that cue again, it's it's like a a little bit of an over cue, I would say. Um, but I try to get that get that implement moving ahead of me. And because it does have so much mass and therefore momentum to it, um, I, I th- well, I think in my head I had gotten the idea that if I that it was gonna like drop on me if I wasn't applying force to it, but because of the momentum that it has, it's not just gonna like suddenly bottom out on you. So you can kind of cast it and push it out ahead of you and then kind of let it hang there as you turn your body with the first turn. Um, But it's, you know, one of the, one of the things to learn about um, the weights I'd say, especially, but you see it also with hammer is about orbit and looking, looking to try to have a smooth orbit and like working with the implement um, instead of uh, against it and not trying to like jerk the wheel, like, you you not trying to make sudden changes um and that means that the the orbit that you set up from the start is really crucial to the the overall um the the trajectory of your like the movement that you have through across the trig and then also the way that you're able to finish it so anyway i digress a little bit but um but that the yeah so the heavyweight whoo it was it was real rough and I was like super also super self-conscious cuz I felt like I I had the idea that other people felt like I didn't belong there and I think you know by the end of the day I I held my own I think I finished um like 7th or or 8th I think I finished 8th um so like I think I prove I think I demonstrated that I I had earned my spot there but I I I didn't I don't know. I just kind of felt like I I felt like very much like the underdog that year. So so that was a little little rough. The weight for distance last year, we had the new implements and I've been working on hook gripping more um to try to hold the implement in my hand. Um but a combination of not having very finely refined technique and I tend to I I not as much anymore, but when I would get off off with it a little bit, I tend to pull i'm a right-handed thrower and i would tend to pull off to the left especially on the finish and if you that increases the centrifugal force of the implement in the the right hand because you're like uh decreasing the length of the radius of the the orbit and so the centrifugal force dramatically increases and with poor grip strength um that ball will come right out. Of you the handle will get, could get ripped out of your hand which is an issue i have had a couple times um So something that I've taken to doing now is, you know, not only putting tape on my thumb and hook gripping, but I also apply some tacky to the uh, back of that, of my thumb so that to give my, my other fingers a little bit of extra grip. Now, side note, don't worry. I am working on grip strength, but in the meantime, I'm still going to hook grip and I'm going to put tacky on my finger. So Anyway, going back to the 2019 Arnold, we had these new dominator weights, and they had these metal handles, it was easier to get a grip on it. Um and I I hooked gripped on my first warm-up throw. Um but on my but on that throw when I planted my left leg Something happened in my knee. I I don't know if I hyperextended it on the block or what, but it it really like it really hurt. I really hurt my left knee, and so I was I was very distracted thinking about my knee, hoping that I hadn't caused some kind of like serious injury to my knee. Um, and it was only that I was worried about that day. You know, it was the second event of the competition, but also thinking like, oh my goodness, like I've only just started in this sport. Have I you know caused some kind of injury that's going to derail derail me. So, my second throw, I was I had all that going out of my head. So, my second throw, I get uh, I step up there and I forgot to hook grip. So, that was not a great throw. And I I kind of I kind of quipped on my Facebook feed today that you know, the chances of me uh having a repeat of 2019 and hitting a spectator this year were much reduced, you know, with them banning spectators. Because I did in fact hit a spectator not on the fly um, but the ball differently, the handle definitely got pulled out of my hand on that second warm up throw and Although it landed inside our area on the bounce, it went through the um it went through the barrier um through the opening in the barrier, and it hit a spectator on the bounce and I didn't know about it after my second warm up throw. I was just kind of flustered for losing control of the implement, but then um one of the other, uh, women mentioned to me maybe after my first competition throw that I had hit somebody or somebody got, you know, somebody had gotten hit by the implement. And I, I felt so awful. I was so worried that I, that somebody had gotten really seriously injured. And so run over there and, and, uh, the, thank goodness she was very gracious. I think, I think she just got bruised. Um, but the woman said, well, well, now you better go back out there and really show, give them what for, you know, show them, show them why you're here. Um, so, so that made me feel a little bit better, but uh, still definitely felt flustered. So heavyweight was not great for me that day. But uh, so those are the struggles. Then let's talk about Merle's cabers. Holy cow. So cabers. <laughs> I I really, until I really started watching more video of my cabers, I didn't realize how badly I was doing at picking the caber. And I've had struggles on and off of actually, like actually getting the caber up in the air is not that hard, but getting my hands underneath it, um, has been a struggle. And my, um, my setup for caber really changed over the course of 2019 hopefully improved. Like I, um, i was having earlier in my uh in my experience with the caber i was having a really hard time um getting my hands close to the ground and you know i'm a pretty i'm a pretty tall tall woman i'm six feet tall and i it, it's harder you know longer lovers it's harder to if your feet are as wide for me as for one of the shorter throwers, then it's going to be harder for me to get into that bent over position to get my hands all the way down to the ground in the way people typically get set up for the caber. So what I've ended up doing is I put my feet really, really wide apart, almost like a sumo stance, um, and that's enabled me to get my hands all the way down to the ground. I, I really, I work to try to get my my pinkies all the way down to the ground. So I really don't have to do much to get my hands under the caber um, once I pick it. So not only is that something that I've changed, um, and I also, I take my time now. I used to be very self-conscious about the amount of time that I was taking with setup and feeling like, like, you know, I don't know. Just just feeling like this. Nobody, I don't know if anybody ever really did rush me, but always feeling like I needed to... I often felt like I needed to rush with getting myself set up and then picking up the caber. Um, but now I just... I I really work to take my time. And I've also learned from from experience that you have to take every caber seriously, or at least I do. I don't want to prescribe something for somebody else. But like even what is for me the easiest caber if I'm not intentional about how I set up for it and go through, go through the same setup and be really intentional about how I'm approaching it and, and taking my approach and, and giving the pull, like, you You can still get off like you it's a twelve isn't guaranteed every single time, even on the easiest caber like you still have to be intentional about it, so anyway that that means like full focus and patience with every every single setup and every single attempt so but um going back to caber, something that I realized uh that I was doing once I started watching more video of myself is I think because I was so worried about losing the caber forward away from me, I had it way too far behind me, the, the top end of the caber. Like I had too much pressure on my shoulder. Um, and I've gotten the advice to, um, get the caber. So you have about, you feel like you have about 10 or 15 pounds of pressure on your shoulder. So that, that's not a lot of pressure. And I still, I'll be honest, I still struggle with that, especially when it's windy um, with feelings feeling confident that i I have the the appropriate amount of lean on the caber um but but that's something that i have i've definitely improved upon is having the caber not having it too far behind me or not as far behind me when i get get ready for the pick so so that but if you look back at videos of my caber attempts and Twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen. Whew, some of those were kinda rough. So and I was not able to turn Rolls Caber at the Arnold the last two years. But when we had the Dayton qualifier, um, and we were running late on time, so they cut back attempts. Like we all in the women's group, we each only got one attempt on the caber, and so I was like, All right, it's game time, it's now or never right. Got myself hyped up and um and I was so super proud. I managed to turn that that caber. I got a two forty five <laughs> but I sure as heck managed to turn it. So, um, so that is a real confidence booster, uh, going into the, the 2020 Arnold. So, so yeah, so caber, and also, oh man, last year, my last caber attempt, like my, I felt my back like pop when I picked the caber, And so I don't think I even really had like a full attempt on it. Like, I think I, I tried to approach it and then I just kind of, I kind of dumped it and just, I didn't bail, but I didn't, I I don't think that was probably one of my lower scores on that day of that, of that event. So that's the Arnold. So it went into 2018 feeling, just feeling like, oh man, I got to prove that I belong. Um, And then in 2019, went and feeling like, okay, I feel like I've I've shown that I I've earned my spot, but, you know, still feeling very much like, like a newbie. And I feel like this year going in, you know, 2020, um I have either met face to face or, you know, exchanged messages on Instagram um with with all of the women that are competing um in the amateur class. I it's an uh, I mean, it's an awesome group of women um that I, I can say for sure from the women that I've met and then and then from what I can tell from the other women that are are qualified I mean, it's just it's gonna be an absolute an absolute blast. I'll see if I can name everybody. Oh nope, I'm not even gonna go there. Um, but I just oh it's it's I think it's gonna be a really, a really fun group um and a pretty competitive group. Um and I'm I'm hoping, you know, with like I was I was saying earlier, with the the vertical events having a little bit greater weight to them and um, me being much better prepared for, um, for them and the, the increased weight of the chief certainly than in previous years, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to have a strong showing this year. Um, you know, one of the, one of the things that I always try to, um, uh, kind of instill in the, the athletes that I coached, um, and that I try to remember for myself is that, you know, ultimately our, our outcome, our performance is not in our control, you know, any Anything crazy can happen day of competition. You know, there if you're outdoors, you know, crazy weather could happen. You could get, it could be rainy or cold or snowy. Um, most, sometimes you don't really know who's going to show up on any given day and you don't know how the other athletes have been preparing. You, you know, you're, you're, for women, you know, you're, you could be at a different point in your cycle than your competitors. That could impact you differently. Um, you don't know, you, you you don't know how your body is going to 100%. You can't predict how your body is going to respond on the day. So the the best that you can do is prepare as well as you can. And really, I try to focus on the process and trust that the outcome will, will come. Um, but I would be, it would be a lie. If I didn't say I also, if I didn't also admit that I look at who the competitors are and I try to plan out, Uh, not plan out, but, um, identify, you know, strengths and weaknesses and kind of predict how things are going to shake out. Um, and sometimes that's really, that's really served me well because it's helped me kind of chill out and like say, okay, I don't need to freak out. Like (laughs) I could finish 10th in a couple events and it's not going to tank my, uh, overall performance, my predicted overall performance. So, um, but, uh, but yeah, this year, you know, so I could say I have an idea in my head and I don't want to articulate it, but I have an idea in my head of where I'd like to shake out in the overall standings. But but really what I care more about than how I place relative to the other women that are competing, um, what I care more about is that I'm consistent. I want to see progress from, from 2019. I want to... Um, continue to establish some really solid marks to start off this year. You know, something else that's very different about this year than the last couple of years is this is not my first competition of the year. I mean, I think if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I've, I've competed in, in two games. I got the chance to compete in the East West, uh, championship or, or challenge down in Florida, um, in January. And I competed in that Tundra, the Tundra games, um, I guess it's three, three weekends ago. So I already have a full slate of marks. So this is not coming in from scratch for me. Um, and so, you know, I feel, I feel, I feel, I, I feel confident. I'm excited. Um, can't wait to see my friends again. Uh, I, and I am, I am sad that there won't be as many spectators. Well, There won't be spectators there. Um, so that, that really does stink. But at the, at the end of the day, um, the, one of the biggest things that I get out of this sport is, um, competing against myself and really striving to, um, master these events. And, and it's about, you know, there's a quote that, um, I, I think I now I've quote, I've, I've mentioned it earlier in the podcast, but the, the becoming is more important than, than the outcome or what you become. Um, And this, this competition is just kind of a, um, just kind of a fence post, like a marker along the way. And it's just kind of a way to check in and see, see whether what I'm doing is paying off. And it's just a way to collect some more data. Um, and when it's over, I'm going to go back to the grind and and keep working away and, and seeing, seeing, you know, what kind of potential I have, um, so, so something else that's different, you know, if you go back a couple episodes I talk I I said talked about, you know, my kind of my approach to diet and body image and that whole like kind of fit kind of fat idea, that apparel brand and that 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 concept also. So one of the reasons that I feel well prepared going into this competition as well is that my diet and nutrition and my training has, has really shifted gears. I decided that I'm going to, you know, eat more calories and definitely eat more protein and kind of see, and like not try not to care about my body weight and just kind of see, or my body size and kind of see what my body's able to do if it's uh, properly fueled, adequately fueled. And so I, I have, you know, have my target for grams of protein I want to get in in a day. And I did some looking at like what, what types of food have a high protein content relative to their cost, and like figuring out things that I like. So I, on a typical day, I try to get like a cup of, uh, Greek yogurt. I get a cup of cottage cheese, um, trying to get like four chicken thighs, um, And I don't know that I have it all measured out properly, but like, like a cup or more of white rice, I get some, uh, sauteed mushrooms and onions and ground turkey or ground beef and have that all, that, those three things all mixed together. Um, and then what else? Usually a couple air apples, some baby carrots, um, and typically like two protein shakes a day. So about four scoops of protein powder, um, and split twice. Like I have one for breakfast where it's two scoops of protein powder in in, in like a full blender bottle of milk. And, uh, as I mentioned in my Instagram story, uh, this was like huge breakthrough. Like I use chocolate protein powder, um, but, uh, added two heaping tablespoons of instant coffee So I had a mocha protein shake with that added caffeine kick this morning. So I wouldn't have to like drink extra coffee and just feel too, too bloated this morning. Uh, But it definitely helped perk me up a little bit, which was nice. Um, So yeah, so a couple protein shakes. And so I have that one in the morning and then I'll have one um, uh, that I'll, I'll have before, like for working out. So I'll have like, I'll drink like half of it before I go through a lift and then finish the other half of it on as soon as I'm done with the workout. And all of those things together added up pretty close to the amount of protein that I want to get on average. And I'm not trying to be too much of a stickler for it, but I've, you know, with those things, um, I'm getting pretty close to the benchmarks and definitely, much more protein content that in my diet than I was getting before. And what I am seeing just over the course of these, maybe it's maybe been six weeks or so. Um, what I've, I've seen over the course of, and the diet hasn't been six weeks, sorry. I've been in the gym hitting it pretty consistently six plus weeks. Um, but the, the protein increase in protein content has been maybe like three or four weeks. Um, but I, I don't know if it's just in my head, but I feel like I'm already starting to see and feel differences in my body, which has got me thinking like, you know, so much of my athletic life, even when I was a division one college athlete and division two college athlete, I I thought a lot about, you know, that the trying to be attractive and for me, because the part of my body that i'm most self conscious about is my my stomach, the size of my stomach um i I think even when I was eating a lot i well, I know I wasn't tracking protein, and I don't think I got enough protein, but I also was still conscious of like being worried that I was gonna eat too much and my waistline was gonna get bigger like I really tracked my weight when like when I threw at Ashland, and I was right around two twenty five that whole year. And so I wouldn't go back. I'm not going to, like, not going to live with regrets, but, you know, I, I I do wonder if I had thought about that protein in my diet and, and, you know, with social media, if I'd understand, understood meal prepping and that kind of stuff better, I wonder, I wonder what kind of numbers I might've been able to hit, you know, because I, I often felt, um, like in the weight room, I did feel fresh. I felt like I would, I would get stuck and like not, not be able to lift as much as I, I think I, I should have been able to. Um, and I found, you know, even now in my late thirties that I'm, I'm able to hit numbers that are as good or better. I mean, I, I PR'd on bench press, Like a year ago, I benched 200 pounds for the first time in my life. I mean, the highest I think I ever benched when I was at Tennessee was like 185 or 195. Um, and I feel like I certainly should have been able to lift more than that when I was in the prime of my life. So anyway, so we'll, we'll see through as I continue through this year, we'll, we'll see if I'm, how my body changes, how my strength levels, uh, how my strength levels change, um, But I have, I have been getting in the, in the gym more consistently this year. Um, And although I am doing my own programming and so I don't, it's not ideal, but I do, I am focusing on just, I actually, I have a plan this year that's a little bit different from the like non-plan that I had the last couple of years, so So yeah, so things are good, and um, I've been getting going to physical therapy, and I have been really getting some relief from the um, SI joint pain that I've had over the last forever years. I mean, I had SI joint pain when I was at Tennessee, so it's been 20 years, two decades that I've had um, this SI joint pain, and it's been on and off. You know, there are a couple times when it really flared up. Um, like in 2012 and back in like 2010, there were some really bad flare ups. There have read some other times over the years, but, um, I have some, some mobility things that I can do to, um, improve my, improve the hypomobili- hypomobility that I have in the SI joint. And I've been getting dry needling, um, and some, you know, manual work that has, I mean, it's, It's been a total game changer. And so I, so many reasons I'm excited about the 2020 season. And I will say also, you know, shout out, shout out to Mike Beach and the Heavy Light podcast. Like I, 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 I hope that I've, I've communicated it clearly when I've messaged him, you know, uh, online, but like, I, I appreciate how real he's being because I'll, I'll own up to the fact that I, I fell into that trap Of, you know, wanting to be like a pro athlete and feeling like we needed to have a pro class for the women and, 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 you know, I don't know, I just I guess I've realized that I like, part of my drive for that is not like, oh, man, not, not necessarily an ego thing. Um, I don't want to lie to myself about that like, not necessarily an ego thing, just trying to make it a little more affordable to be able to compete in the sport. Um, because it's, it's not cheap to travel and, and get the equipment. And like, I, I mean, to be honest, I had to do a fundraiser to be able to get, to afford to get myself a set of implements. But, um, now that I have those, you know, I'm, I'm good with competing places where I can have fun, um, where I'm going to be with my friends. And if my performance level also warrants, Event organizers, you know, seeing seeing me as worthy of giving some travel funds to or, or including me in the mix where there's a competition, where there's prize money. And especially if it affords me the opportunity to travel to places that I wouldn't necessarily otherwise get to see, I'm totally down for that. Um, I will say on the women's side... One of one of the things that is, and I don't want to make this sound like an oh woe is me thing, but one of the things that is, is not a challenge, but one of the things that I I found to be a little hard is that in some of the games that are closer to me, um, you know, like there when there are fewer total athletes, and like when all the women are in, especially when all the women are in one class. And there, you know, one or two top women, you know, completely dominate the competition. Like, that's not fun for any woman that's on the top. And it's not fun for the women that are on the bottom. And I've been, I feel like I've been really lucky that a lot of the places that I've gone and competed where I've been, like, this is not bragging. This is not a flex. This is just like the reality is that there have been games that I've gone to where I have completely swept the day. And the the amazing thing that I've experienced is that there are some women in those places that are just so, just treat it, just don't take it personally. And I I try to be just super nice, helpful where it's welcome and, you know, and just, you know, hey, we're all here to have fun together, but it's still it can feel kind of awkward to show up and and know that some of those women are like oh you know Janine's here well we know who's going to win today like i i feel bad if if people feel bad that i'm there and honestly like like i said earlier like yeah i mean winning is fun i'd be lying if i didn't say that winning is fun but i also have gotten to a point hope, hopefully where uh in my maturity where you know i will rejoice as much for you in your victory as i will for myself because um I want to see my my friends and competitors succeed as well. I want to see the women's class improve in excellence across the board. And you know, I'll be the first one there if if you're. So this is I'm throwing this out there for any any women or I mean, or men too. I'm happy to help too. But any women that are out there that you know want that that are looking for help or advice, like. Please feel free to shoot me a message. I've done video breakdowns for for other women. I'm happy to give feedback. You may not after listening to this, you may want to may not want to get feedback on the weights for distance. Um, <laughs> but I'm happy to share whatever I have. Um because I I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for Um, if it wasn't for athletes that have been in the sport a lot longer than I have sharing the information and the wisdom that they have with me. So I want to pay that forward. And I want to see the women's class as a whole grow in, like I said, grow in excellence and become stronger. So from top to bottom, I want to see us all grow. And if that means that you grow faster than me and you beat me, props to you, I will be there giving you a high five and cheering you on as well. So I don't know if that all made sense, but, uh, but yeah, so there you go. Um, so, Arnold preview. A little bit of a reflection on the Arnold, a little bit of a preview. Um, and, and I did put out there on Instagram if anybody had any questions for my next recording. I got a whopping one question, so thanks, Kyle. Um, the question was like, how do you, how do, when you're a newbie, you know, how do you get started in competing in your first game? So,. Um and that's a really great question. I will say you know you that you already have a leg up if you're connected with people in the games. Um when I started I just I literally just signed up for games and you don't you don't see novice classes for women as much as you do for men. I have been to a couple games where all of the there, there's maybe been one, one female novice athlete and all of the novice athletes threw together and they just use the, you know, the comparable weight implements. Um, but that's, I would say that's really the best way to go is finding a place where they have, finding a games where they have a novice novice class. Now, how do you find games that have a novice class? Well, you could go on, you know, the in the Nasga group on Facebook and ask like, hey, where would I find a novice games in this area of the country? If you don't feel comfortable putting a question like that out there, um, you know, you you can um go on the Nasda website and you can look at Games that happened in the previous year. So go look at 2019 and see what games had a novice class in the previous year. And that might give you an indication of games that will have a novice class in the upcoming year. And a lot of the festivals happen at the same, like during the same weekend. So that you can kind of gauge where in the year the event will fall. Also, games will also be listed on the NASGO website um, through the year. So you can start looking and seeing what classes are listed as being offered um, if you live in an area where it's challenging, like you're not close to a lot of games, but there is one, but it maybe it doesn't have a novice class listed, I would recommend reaching out to the athletic director um, to find out what they're, how they feel about having novice athletes competing there, whether it would be appropriate in that setting or not. One of the challenges that I encountered was you know I wanted I I don't even remember what games it was anymore but I reached out about competing in a games and and they were very hesitant to have me participate and I I, you know safety is a a huge factor and so I I very much get that that you want to be you want to trust that your athletes that are out there on the field are going to be aware of their surroundings um and so I got I, you know there are one or two places I think were hesitant to let me compete you know when I, when it would have been my second game. So I, I get that. Um but yeah, I would say find find a novice games as far as competing in your first games. Now, as far as preparation for that, I would 100% recommend that you try to find someone to a, a place where you can get a, at least one practice in if not more. I mean, preferably more before your first games, but if you if you live in an area where you just it's hard to find people to train with, make the drive, try to find someone that you can at least get one practice with and get a feel for the implements so that you are not touching it for the first time on the day um the day of the competition. Um also, there are a lot of uh, video and print resources. Well, not a lot of print resources, but there are some. If you go on YouTube, I would search for Matt Vincent. Um, Mike Beach has a great um, library of throwing drills. Um, Dan McKim has some, also has some great videos that break down a number of the events. All three of those men do. Um, also there, and if you search for them, I believe all three of them have written books about the events. Um, Dan McKim has a, a book called Throw Heavy that is is a really good primer for um, a novice thrower on what the events are. Um, there's there's also information on the NASGA website, I believe, about what the events, what they are and, and how you approach them. Um, and again, if you have any questions, please feel free to reach out to me on this stuff. Um, getting getting some weight training especially I mean for men and or women but you know men like men in the open class y- you throw some heavy implements i mean the 56 in and the caber like those those things can be heavy and so if you have zero strength training experience you ha- it's going to be an uphill battle so getting in the weight room and getting some some lifting uh training in is really beneficial um and i don't want to make i mean focusing on on big movements compound movements um is really important uh core strength posterior chain those are all important things um moving along that uh that speed power what what is it the force velocity curve um trying to move things explosively olympic lifting those kind of things are really uh beneficial for throwers in general um having a massive bench is not necessarily going to make you throw far, probably won't make you throw far. And so that can be a little bit of a challenge for people that are maybe coming from the powerlifting world or other strength sports into the Highland Games is, you know, our our lifting serves the purpose of getting us to throw farther. And so, um, you know, there are only so many hours in the day. And so one of the questions you might want to ask yourself um, if you do have a strong lifting background is like, is it, is it gonna pay? Am I going to get a bigger payoff from putting time into, you know, an extra half hour to throwing on the week or an extra half hour to working on my bench press, you know, seeing where that shakes out. Um, early on in my own throwing career, I felt like, you know, my, my strength levels, levels ha- are definitely above average, um, even without me spending a lot of time in the weight room. And so I really poured my energy into throwing and becoming proficient at the, the technique or try, try, trying to figure out how to throw them. Um, and, uh, and that's part of why my focus has shifted for 2020 is because some of the events I'm get I'm locking them down a little bit. I mean, my, my WAB now I'm, I'm pretty consistently over 16 feet, 16 feet plus, And, and that's, that's pretty, pretty darn good. Um, my sheaf has gotten pretty consistent with a 10 pound, 10 pound bag at 26 plus. So like those are, eh. I of course want to throw higher with those, but as I become more proficient with those, I, I feel like I'm going to get a little bit better payoff of shifting some of my focus from throwing to back into the weight room a little bit. So there you go. Rambling, rambling story there. Um, and then of course you you need to have a kilt, so sometimes you can find um i would if if you're in an area where there's um an active uh throwing group like a regional group um I would post there and see if someone has if you're just kinda exploring this sport to see if you want to try it i mean I bought a used kilt that I wore for my first you know year and a half my first two seasons, and then i um I got the money I was able to afford to buy myself a kilt and I got myself one in my family tartan, um, because I do, I have Scottish heritage and I knew what my family tartan was. And so I'm really excited now to be representing Clan Campbell in the games. Um, but if you don't have, you know, family heritage or whatnot, you know, getting a used one can be a good, a good way to, without having to put the, the, the money into it. Um, if you want to buy a new kilt, sport kilt is the, the number one place to go, Um, and if you have questions about specifics about that stuff, you know, reach out, reach out to people who've been throwing for a while, please, please feel free to ask. Um, and then, yeah, and then just be prepared that you're going to accumulate gear. I mean, (laughs) you know, tape and tacky and, uh, shoes and gloves and pitchforks, all kinds of stuff. You know, I think that's. That's part of the fun for me too is, is getting the gear and, and you know, just that, that kind of stuff. That stuff's fun too. So, uh, so yeah, whew. Alrighty. It's been a doozy. I think I am going to sign off now cause I have rambled for an hour. Holy cow. I don't know whether to apologize or say you're welcome. So what I will just say is good night. Check you next time thank you for listening to the throws genius podcast if you'd like to connect with me Janine Kistner about the show or the heavy athletics or whatever the best place to find me on social media is probably on Instagram you can search for Janine throws J-A-N-I-N-E, T-H-R-O-W-S. And that's also how you can find my athlete page on Facebook, if you search for that on Facebook. Um, I can also be reached by email at throwsgenius at gmail.com. And if you like the Throws Genius podcast, would you rate and review us and maybe share it with your friends? Thanks so much.